Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Commander's Contingencies podcast. Today we're going to be tackling a topic instead of building a deck, and it is choosing which ways you want to play suboptimally. So the first thing I want to cover is why you want to play suboptimally, or even if you want to play suboptimally. Now, the reason that you wouldn't want to play suboptimally at all is if you are playing CEDH, in which you try to play the most powerful decks you can and in the most powerful ways you can. The only goal is winning. So if you are playing CEDH, then you do not want to play suboptimally at all, meaning that this deck, this is pretty irrelevant to you. But if you do want to play suboptimally, there are a lot of different ways to do that. Now, a lot of people will choose to play suboptimally by actually playing suboptimally, not necessarily building their deck suboptimally. So, The way you can do that is by making bad choices, right? You could just target the wrong thing, or you could search for the wrong thing, like not necessarily get your combo piece, or you could just sandbag. You can just hold your combo in your hand, control your opponents, basically make it so that you win a lot later than you could. Uh, There's also, you can just have multiple, a lot of the things you can do if you want to do deck variability, deck limited power, then you can have multiple decks. That way you can choose in between the decks the power level and get a good mix of power level to be able to play against your opponents. Next, so now we're getting to ways that you can manage your actual decks. So one of these ways is budget. So budget is if you pick a specific dollar amount that your deck, that the total price of your deck can be. There are a lot of different online things that can calculate this, including most deck builders, deck building websites, and you just have to choose with your group what you're gonna use. This can work because this can really this can work. Uh, there's also you can also do no com no infinite combo and no game winning combo. No game winning combo is no interactions in between a certain number of cards that can win you the game by themselves in a certain number of turns. A certain number of cards in a certain number of turns is up to your choice, and no infinite combo would be any interaction between a certain number of cards that has no unoptional ending. Meaning, you don't get get the choice to keep doing it over and over again. You just have to stop at some point. There's also no turn X wins. So this is more of a play variability, but you can say with your playgroup, 
or just with yourself, I'm not going to win before turn X. Whatever that turn is, totally depends on the play group. And also, you could just build your deck so that, like, most decks, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm building a deck, a lot of the time I'll think, what's my game plan? Right? Like, optimally, what are you doing? Like, I'm playing my commander, then I'm playing something that synergizes with my commander, or something like that. With that game plan, how quickly are you going to win? Playing that out, planning that out so that you don't win before a certain turn. The next one is no one turn wins, so you can't have a, this is also somewhat a playing restriction, but you can also just build your decks that it's not designed to do this. No one turn wins is where you play out a couple of cards in a single turn with little to no warning on the previous turn that just win you the game that turn without giving your opponents a chance to respond. Next is weak to removal. Weak to removal is uh, purposefully playing no protection for your cards so that your opponents are easy. It's easy for your opponents to destroy your things and regulate your power level. Um, next is common sense, quote unquote. Right? That is simply, oh, I'm not doing anything. This is what you're doing. You're just choosing, or you're doing best deck specific category. Either one. You are simply limiting yourself in a couple of ways to make it so that your deck is fair. Now, this is usually just a mixture, mixture of other categories. Now, the next one is be best deck specific category. Best deck specific category is, for example, if you're playing an artifact deck, your de artifact deck is the best at doing artifact shenanigans. If you build your deck to be the best at achieving uh, artifact shenanigans, then you are doing best deck specific category. But of course, you are limited because you're not trying to build the best deck within that category. You're trying to build the best, the best deck at doing that category. So this is, all comes with a caveat. If there is someone in your playgroup that just wants to kill all your kill everyone and really go crazy, then they will probably find a way around these rules. They'll find some type of thing if they're willing to put in the time. It it's sad, but if someone wants to get around the rules, I'm sure that there are ways. Next. So you're also, you can also run a lot of decks and have variability in between those decks so that you can play with a lot of different power levels. Alright, so now I'm going to go over these different categories that I already mentioned and what the advantages and disadvantages of these. So budget, the advantages are you can save money. Uh, disadvantages is it can be irritating if you use it in a group or even by yourself 
with previously owned cards. For example, if you have a $100 budget and someone actually uses a $140 budget because they have a $40 card already. This can be irritating and is hard to set rules around. And if there are people that are new to the game, it can seem unfair if the other people can use their cards that they already own. And if you have people old to the game, then they're going to be sad because they can't use their cards. Um, it's a dilemma, and I think you just can talk to your playgroup and figure it out. Now, other things you say, other things that are relevant is it's restrictive. This is rather opinionated, whether it's an advantage or disadvantage, because a lot of people like restrictions because it can help them be more creative. As the way too much quoted. This thing is so overquoted. Mark Morrow said, restrictions breed creativity. It is so overquoted. I don't know why. It's a good quote, but whatever. Uh, it also rewards spending time. For example, if there's a person in your playgroup that doesn't really like building the decks, they just like playing them, they might spend a lot less time building the deck and will end up with a lot less powerful of a deck. So this can be rather polarizing with people who are willing to spend more time, which makes it unbalanced again. And also, this can't really be the only method excluding below $40-ish because it, it makes it pretty unbalanced. But if you make it so low budget, below $40-ish, then there's almost no way that your opponents can make a deck that is extremely powerful. The next category I'm going to be talking about is no fast mana. The advantages of no fast mana is, again, you can save money, the decks are cheaper. The disadvantage is it's an imperfect method. It can be only a hindrance or, and it's hard to define. So this is really, basically I'm gonna go over how, how I would define it and what choices you have. So CMC zero, makes any forever is easy. Clearly that is not allowed. For example, Mana Crypt, which is zero and it can tap for two. And um, yeah, CMC zero makes any once. For example, Log Lotus Petal, that's questionable. Personally, I would let that, let that in. CMC one makes one forever. So, like Lanoirls, um, which is green for 1-1 one, one, and it can tap for green. Uh, that is also questionable. Personally, I would let that in. Uh, the other question is Soul Ring. Soul Ring is indecisively fast mana, but people like to leave it in because of its accessibility. But, I don't know, that's another 
question. Uh, there's also CMC makes two plus or three or whatever once. So like mana vault or dark ritual. There's also the distinction in between um, reusable by paying mana and simply once. Like mana vault versus dark ritual. Dark ritual is black and you add black, black, black. And mana vault is a colorless and you can tap it for three. And on your upkeep, you can untap it for four. And if it's tapped on your upkeep, you take a damage. So those are personal choice. I would not let mana vault or things that you would have to untap in, but I would let dark ritual in. I would say no blocks on things that are two mana or more, except for maybe Grim Monolith. Grim Monolith is two for an artifact, tap it for three, and you can untap it for four. And yeah, that's basically how I would define it. And there are a lot of different choices you can make, but yeah. The next option is no game winning combo. So the disadvantage is it's really questionable, right? So basically the questions, it's questionable around conditionals. Like if I have three creatures today, or if I need to have 10, whatever it is. And also unnoticed combos, other win cons, line of synergy versus combo is very blurry. Let me go over this. So it's questionable around conditions. If your combo needs certain conditions to be true in order for you to win the game, what do, do you have to include those in the number of cards that are required to win? So that's like, if you need five creatures, for example, does that add five cards to the number of required cards? That's just a random thing. That's a question. Uh, the other thing is your if your opponent doesn't notice that they have the combo in their deck, I would say just say have a house rule. If you do that, you can play the combos in your deck. You simply cannot enact the combos. You can play every card. You just can't do the combo. Now, you might choose to do it a different way. Like, maybe you can activate it once per turn or once per cycle of turns. That's up to you. Uh, there are also other win conditions that can be just as broken. It's pretty arbitrary thing to ban. Plus, it makes the line of synergy versus combo pretty blurry and questionable. So, other things that you have to decide is the number of required cards. Like, you probably definitely wouldn't want to include two card combos, three card combos, but what about four card combos? Are those allowed? Five and six are definitely not allowed, but, but basically the question is, do you want to include four card combos? That's an interesting thing to choose. Uh, the other thing is the time to, that it takes to win, right? So if 
it is uninterrupted. You have to win that turn. What about next turn? What about in two turns? That's another thing. Because if you make that cap too big, literally Sarah ascend it, which is going to take like 20 turns to win, wouldn't be legal. Now, what else do we have? No infinite combo. So, no infinite combo is... The advantage is it's easy to define. So, any gap sh game action that when repeated has no unoptional ending. So, you don't have a choice to let it keep on going on and on forever. The disadvantage is unnoticed again you could just say you can't play it out same rules and notes is the number of required cards uh, again you have to choose that um there's also the no turn x wins so this is mostly again a play restriction because you can't win before turn x no one can do that it will make people sandbag until that turn but mostly again that just means that you're building your deck so that its plan is to win by that turn and not faster the advantages is you almost never get completely annihilated with this right you don't just get no one just walks in and then kills you on like turn three now sometimes that's a bad thing right because if you are playing against someone who has an incredibly powerful deck one that is much more powerful than yours you might not want to sit there for five or six turns waiting until they do it it also discounts removal and yeah there's also no one turn wins so the advantages are you can play very powerful cards and do a lot of powerful things the disadvantages are if you're the only one doing it it is extremely difficult to win because your opponents will have a way to do it they always have a way. Almost always. Uh, the next version is weak to removal. Weak to removal is purposefully making the choice to not run cards that would protect your combo or your cards in general. So it can be irrelevant if you win in a turn. So you just win in one turn with little to no prior warning and and the advantages is you can play extremely powerful cards and stuff like that and powerful combos etc the disadvantages is it's hard to win and hard to define right like maybe the rule is no protection but what about cards that already have protection on them? It's questionable. Yeah, common sense. Common sense, if you don't know what you're doing, this is it. 
So the advantages are it's manipulatable to your liking, right? Like if you want to have a combo deck that does super crazy stuff, but then doesn't win, then maybe make it so that it has the crazy combo go out, but that combo can't happen until next turn so your opponents can interrupt it. There are a lot of different ways to do it. It's completely your choice. And it can be the, yeah. Disadvantages is if you're using it in a group, it is completely trust-based. And it is easily misrepresented, done incorrectly, and can be messed up. All right. Next is best deck specific category. This is the best deck in your category. So basically your deck is the best at achieving the thing that your deck is trying to achieve. For example, if you are playing a gates deck, your, your deck is the best that a deck could possibly be at getting gates onto the battlefield and getting Maze's End. Now, that doesn't mean it's a good deck. Because you're playing a Maze's End deck, you simply can't have that good of a deck. But you have to be careful that you're building your deck to be the best at doing that category, not the best within that category, right? Because you could run like 10, run the gates, run Maze's End, run other lands and say that's your category and then just run tons of other crazy combo cards. That would kind of ruin the purpose. You have to be the best at doing that. And you also have to make sure you're not jumping through hoops. Like you maybe you're comboing off like crazy, getting your drawing your deck, being able to play all your lands, and then you win with Maze's End. I also don't count that because then your win condition is drawing your deck and being able to play cards, not actually Maze's End. Um, so it's a little bit hard to define, but it, it works. So another advantage is you feel less limited in the deck you're building. You don't have to be like, oh no, I can't run this card. It's just too much. And the disadvantages, it only works with high, high-ish power level. Almost all decks can get relatively powerful. I have not successfully found a way to well measure power level, so I can't state it in any way. I wish I could, and I would love, I would love if someone has found some, some type of way to measure that, that people can agree on, I would love to hear it. But it only works with the highest power level. Right. Next is a limited number of tutors. So a limited number of tutors basically cuts down on other, on people's decks consistency. So Tutors are cards that search for a non-basic land card from your library. Or just from, by that I mean non-basic land. So anything that's not a basic land. 
so that works uh but it also depends on the deck it could simply be a small inconvenience just a small hindrance uh but another thing that's an advantage is it gives disadvantages to green and black which are some of the best colors yeah um so there are a lot of different ways to limit your limit your power level and the most important thing is to have a conversation before the game on how powerful your deck is your decks are i do not know a good method of deliberating that but the important thing is that you are in roughly the same power level now there are a lot of different ways to do this and the best option is just to talk to your playgroup and see what they want for example, if there's a lot of new players in here, a lot of these wouldn't work. And maybe budget would be a really good idea. Because budget would be great to welcoming new players because you are all on an even playing field. Or maybe you have your own method. I would love to hear your own method. All right, so this deck turn, this episode turned out to be short. So I'm going to pitch my idea for the podcast. So I have just started this podcast just as another EDH podcast. And I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I want to be the best at something. I want to have some justifiable reason for you to listen to my podcast over another one. And sadly, I don't even have that right now. So what I want to do is rather than brewing decks right on the podcast, since that just doesn't work with the format very well, I want to try to do a challenge. I want to build commander decks with every single card in Magic the Gathering's history. Now, I have no idea how long this podcast is going to run, whether this is even a good goal. Maybe I'll just decide not to do this. But this is just something that I'm pitching. I would love to hear your responses. Um, I would probably have a lot of different rules questions. I would have no overlap. There's, there are currently 18,798 non-land cards in the game. Which, divided by 62, which would be roughly the number of cards in each deck, comes out to be roughly 300 decks. What am I getting myself into? So, I, I, don't, I don't know if this is going to happen. My current plan is I brew two cards a week, two decks a week, and I go over them on the podcast briefly. I might up that to three, depending on the rate of new cards coming out. But if you listen to every single episode of my podcast, eventually you will have seen every single magic card. Well, I don't know. I have no idea if I'm actually going to achieve this. I'm also considering renaming this to Commander's Quest. If I do decide to do this, 
because this will be my quest. So, uh, send me your thoughts. Thank you for listening. I will see you next week. You can join my Discord server in the link in the description. You can send me voice messages through Anchor, also with the link in the description. You can find me on Architect at I'm a Johnny, and you can find me on Disc on Reddit at CMDRS Contingencies. I will see you next week.